Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, there's one announcement that I have that did not make the video announcements, but I feel it's very imperative, is who was the coffee champion yesterday? Yours truly, Andrew Harmon. The men's ministry had a coffee brew off and pancake breakfast yesterday, and I was unable to attend. However, I heard it was a great turnout, heard it was a ton of fun, and I heard that you had the best voted coffee here. It's a good thing I didn't show up. No, I'm just kidding. He probably would have beat me. So uh, last week, uh, I don't know if you got the email. If you don't get our email, sign up on, our, on the bottom of every one of our pages on our website. You can sign up for our newsletter. And uh, we send them out uh, once or twice a month. It's kind of random. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, last weekend was a record attendance weekend for us. So at Upper Room, you guys did it. Yes. Uh, now, preacher numbers, my numbers would have been around 500 people. We don't take actual attendance. We guess. All right? I would have said 500. All right? But Josh and Nicole and Angie more appropriately corrected me to non-preacher numbers of 450 plus. All right? So uh, between the, the two Sunday services and the foot washing, we had 450 attendance. And um, I just think that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you got so here's why we don't take attendance, and I just want to uh, just fill you in. We don't take attendance because we don't want to be numbers-driven. We don't want the pressure of numbers. You know, I don't sit around the dinner table every week and count how many people are at my family table. Like, we're family, all right? So here's more importantly, more importantly than the number of people we had, we had people accept Jesus for the first time last week. We had people encounter his presence. We had born-again experiences. We had healings last week, all right? So, so we don't take attendance. We're not against it. Somebody counted the 120 in the upper room. I'm not against it. We just don't do it as part of our culture, uh, but we're thankful that we're growing, we're thriving, and more importantly, that people are encountering a good father, that they're encountering his presence, that they're experiencing him in worship, and they're tr being transformed by the renewing of their minds. That's how we measure success here, is are what we're doing making a difference in the kingdom, is what we're doing making a difference in marriages and families and kids and generations, and we feel that's a big fat yes with an explanation point. So, good job. All right, moving on. Whew, okay. It is 12.07-ish. All right, they, they sometimes fast forward that clock on me in the back, and I think it's to mess with me, like, yeah, we gotta be done by this time. And then they're like, every once in a while, it edges up, all right? But uh, at any rate, I've been on a good stride of like 30 minutes or less the last few weeks, so we'll see what I can do. I promised that first service, and I don't think I hit it. I don't know if anybody was here. I, I think I was post 30 minutes, I don't know. Um, so last week, I, I know we have this series going on in the background. We have this series that we were going to complete, and we're just going to put that off for a couple weeks, if my people, all right? We're going to put that off, and we're going to conclude that in a couple weeks. I felt like it was fitting, especially if anybody accepted Christ last week or anybody returning. Listen, we're not a church of programs. We're not a church to say, oh, if we get this fancy program or this fancy media thing or this or that. Like, we love all that. We, we, we would love to have some of those things. But it's not our thing on an Easter or a Christmas or a special service to, to, to fluff up who we are because you may be very disappointed if you come back the following week and it's not there. If we have to entertain people to come to church, we'll have to entertain people to get them to stay. 
That's not our role in the kingdom. We want to plant Jesus in the center. We want his presence to reign and rule. We want him to be the God of our life, the God of our ministry, the God of our Sunday. And then we just see what happens. So it's kind of what we did last week. And it was an explosion of his power and his love and his goodness. It was absolutely incredible. It was probably the one, one of the most powerful services I've ever been in, especially sometimes uh, holiday services can get a little wonky with so many new people. So, but here's the deal. I felt like there were some things being said last week, and I feel we need to follow up, especially if you were here and you accepted Jesus or you renewed your life with Jesus or, or those things. So I, I spoke on Jesus is the I am. God is the I am. All right, in Exodus, if we go to Exodus 3.14, it says, God said to Moses, so going all the way back towards the beginning of the word, God said to Moses, he says, I am who I am. And then he says, and say this to the people of Israel, I am sent you. So, so here's the deal. Jesus is the I am. God is the I am. And then we read through the seven I am statements last week. We read through and we focused and we stopped on Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He said in John, I am the resurrection and the life. But he said seven others. In case you weren't here, let me review them very quickly. John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. John 10, he says, I am the gate. He also says in the same chapter, I am the good shepherd. And then we move into the 11th chapter, which is what we focus on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Then we go to verse chapters 14 and 15. And 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And chapter 15 says, I am the vine. Okay, Jesus is the I am. Let, let me sum all that up. He is everything we'll ever need. Jesus is everything. God is everything. I am is an all-encompassing word, meaning he was, he is, and he is to come. He done it, he does it, and he'll forever do it. He was, he is, and he will do these things. I, I am means everything. We often talk about here, and one of my passions is who God really is. What he calls himself, the 951 titles that he calls himself in the world, word is, is, is I am. I am sums it all up. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You listen, he's saying, I am the prince of peace. I am the mighty one. I am counselor. I am the rock, right? I am all of these things. So I am means everything. So the way that I'm wired is, if he's the I am, that means we must be the you are. If he's the I am, I want to follow this up with, like, who is God? Now, who are we? Who are we in this big picture? So if I accept Jesus, what's the next step? It's the moment I believe in Jesus, I get saved. But the moment I realize he believes in me, that's when I get transformed. So following up with, with who he is and following up with, with the I am, now we focus on that you are the you are. So, so let me make some connections here. So when he's saying I am and he's everything, he's everything we've ever needed. He's everything we've ever wanted. In heaven, our needs are met before we ever have a need. Now, now this is good news because I live in a realm that heaven isn't just a destination, but heaven becomes a lifestyle. Heaven actually also becomes a choice. Like I, I take John 10, 10 is not just that Jesus came to give life eternally in heaven as a heaven ticket, but Jesus came to give life abundantly that I can walk a heaven realm here on earth. James even puts it like this in the first chapter, in the second verse, he says, count all joy the trials you go through, meaning joy is also a choice. So, so heaven is this realm that's not just me one day, what a glorious day that'll be, that I get there to a destination of eternity, but I also get to live in an abundant life of heaven here on earth. 
Several times the Bible talks about the Lord's Prayer, three different occasions. And one way he words it, pray this, pray this exact prayer. And another, he says, pray like this as a model. And one of the things in the prayer, it says, let your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. So let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is an invitation. Paul writes this in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. He's talking about the spirit of adoption. And he's talking about how we can cry out, Abba, Father, we're an heir to the throne, a co-heir with Christ, right? We're no longer slaves. We're no longer orphans. But we are sons and daughters through the spirit of adoption that we can cry out. And he's talking about an heir to the throne. As an heir, that means I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High, of the greatest father, of Abba, where I can cry out, Daddy. So an heir to the throne means that everything that's in heaven, I have a legal right to now. I'm getting somewhere here. So this is the realm of the I am. So in heaven, in this realm of heaven, your need is met before you ever even have a need. Okay, so listen, he, he is uh, the bread of life. So before I'm ever hungry, my hunger's already met, right? So I am the way, the truth, and life. Before I even have a question, he's already the truth. So before I have a need, he's already answered it, all right? He's talking about he is the living water. So before I ever even get thirsty, he's already quenched that thirst before I ever have it. He's, he, one of his promises is that his grace is sufficient for all needs, so I'm not saying that we, we walk in this experience and we walk in this, this realm where nothing bad ever happens because we get to walk in heaven. No, I'm saying that when we walk through bad things, we can bring heaven to that situation because there's a few things we get to do here that we actually don't get to do in heaven. We actually get to praise and thank God here through bad stuff and we don't get to do that in heaven. So I get to bring the heaven realm to a bad situation. I can't praise during death in heaven because death doesn't exist in heaven. I get to praise when my finances don't look good and I'm just trusting and living by faith in the Lord. Why? Because there's no bankruptcy in heaven. The streaks are of gold. They've got plenty of excess in heaven. Like if you look at these realms, I actually get to live in a heaven realm and bring heaven to these situations, heaven to my circumstance, heaven into my marriage, even when we're in a fight. How's heaven respond in a disagreement? There are none. It's always good. It's just like we challenged all of us a couple of weeks ago. How did Jesus handle this when he went through persecution? How did Jesus handle it when somebody turned their back on him? How did Jesus handle it when somebody was talking bad about him? Now we get to respond, now how can I bring heaven into this situation? Because Christ in me actually is the hope of what? Glory. So all of a sudden I get to bring heaven into my workplace even when it doesn't look like heaven. Like fires and taking people to the hospital, that does not look like heaven. But all of a sudden I get to come into this ambulance of this person having their worst day and I get to make an attempt to make it the best day. Why? Because I'm going to pray and I'm going to bring the glory of God into the situation and see a healing or see comfort or see loneliness healed through somebody who actually just needs somebody to hold their hand, pray with them, comfort them, and love on them. Let, let, me, let me move on here. So Matthew 16, 13 through 20 says this. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of God is? Who does people say that the son of man is? And it says this, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah. So here's, here's what Jesus is asking Peter. He's saying, who do people say that I am? Who, what's going around? What's the scuttlebug? What's, what, what do people say? 
And Peter's saying, well, some say you're a good teacher. Some say you're really smart. Some say you're a prophet. And it's just like there's these viewpoints. So then here's what happens. And he says, um, so say, it says, and they said, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has. Now, now here's, here's the situation here. Listen, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Many of us know that Jesus went to the cross. Many of us know that, that God is the Father and the creator of the universe. But some of us may not have felt it and merged those 18 inches apart into one thing saying, he is Yahweh, he is Jehovah Jireh, he is Jehovah Nietzsche, he is my provider. Like, like there's this thing where it merges. Let me go back to Palm Sunday when we were saying there was two different perspectives of Jesus coming into town. There was the perspective of the consumer-driven culture the consumer-driven culture was the one saying, yes, Jesus, come. They're laying down their cloaks. But it was the Pharisees that wanted him to rebuke and actually stop the disciples. Why? Because they were saying something different. They were all saying he's the king of kings. But what was happening is the heart of the people were saying he's going to be the new president. The heart of the disciples was saying he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he is the Messiah. There's a difference. The people had head knowledge. The general crowd had the head knowledge, but it was the disciples who had the heart knowledge. So he's saying, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And he's saying, listen, flesh and blood hasn't taught you this. That's great. You can see that I teach. You can see I'm smart. You can see that I predicted things that are coming true. But you, you see that I'm Messiah. There's something that's happened in your heart. It's the same thing when he was asking Peter, do you love me? And he's saying, yes, I love you. I, I brotherly love you. I friendly love you. He's like, no, do you love me? Yes, I brotherly love you. I, I, I love you as a brother, as a friend, as, a, as somebody I admire. And then the third time he says, do you love me? He says, yes, I agape. I unconditionally love you. There's a difference what happens from our head to our heart. So then here's what happens. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose shall be loosed in heaven. Now listen, this is, this is a great perspective of where we are and what we're talking about heaven on earth and the heaven perspective in the heaven realm. Let, let me first tell you that, that when Jesus speaks, he not only always speaks literally, but he also speaks figuratively. So he's saying on this heart knowledge, on this, on this perspective, on this revelation, we're going to build the church. That I am Messiah. I am the King of Kings. I am Savior. And I'm going to plant myself in the center. And we're going to plant. And this is how we're going to build the church on a good foundation. Let, let me just tell you a story about the church. Some of you may not know this. Um, I'd say 50% of our church has been here less than three years. The people, you know. And this building's been here seven and, and when we had the opportunity, uh, they got with my dad and I and the others in the leadership team at that time, and they said, you can pick an address. Okay. And it could range between 400 numbers and like 900 numbers. We're like, let's pick a good one. So we all kind of bring some things to the table, and we landed on Luke 648. So our address is 648 North Hyatt Street. We're like, it's got to be prophetic. Like, you know, so if you go to that, it's talking about building on a firm foundation, building on the rock. It's another perspective of this saying, I will build on the firm foundation. So we pick it, we're excited. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens the first month of construction? 
we hit rock. And we hit $100,000 worth of rock. We had to get big jackhammers and explosives and everything else the contractors had to use. So, but guess what that did was, it not only meant spiritually that this is on the rock, but it meant figuratively. Like this place ain't going nowhere. We had to elevate the parking lot and do all these things, $100,000. But, but in that, there was also fruit. All of a sudden, we had to get creative. We laid hand by hand, by stone, by stone, by stone, every stone you see around this building. All these light trusses are actually TV antennas that we cut down and spray painted and mounted ourselves. We had to get $100,000 creative with sweat equity that built unity, that built family, that built investment, because this place was literally built on the rock. So let's go back to here. Caesarea Philippi was an area of caves. It was an area of mountainous caves and, and rocks. So Jesus is saying, literally, we're going to build a church here. Why? Because it was a corrupt culture. They were offering blood sacrifices in those caves of burnt offerings and lambs and slaughtering them and worshiping this God named Pan, P-A-N. And this was a God of fear and a God of infertility. Here's what Jesus was saying. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Why? Because I'm the prince of peace. And on this rock, peace, we're going to build our church. I'm the God of life, the way, the truth, and the life, uh, the resurrection of life. Boom, we're going to build life. All right, on this rock, listen, he's not a God of infertility. He's a God of wanting us to be fruitful and multiplying. That's what he's building his church on. Now, here's the focus for today. He says that I'm empowering you. I'm giving you authority to bind what's on earth and it will be bound in heaven and loose what's on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. Binding means we have the authority to rebuke, to be dominion over, to have power over. Bind means I get to close that up and loose the floodgates of heaven over it. When you bind up something, you damn it, you pull it back, you push it down. You have the authority and dominion over it. Okay, and then I get to lose. So oftentimes there's things that I study heaven. What's heaven look like? What's in heaven? Because I get to bind anything that's not in heaven and I get to loose all of heaven into it. So you'll often hear me praying for a married couple going through issues. We bind the enemy's assignment here. We cancel that. We bind the earthly attack here. When I'm praying for disease or cancer, it doesn't exist in heaven. So I have a right to bind it and loose heaven. Infertility doesn't exist, so I bind that and I loose heaven. I loose his presence. I loose his healing into that realm, into that atmosphere, into that body, into that marriage, into those finances. That's the heaven realm. I get the authority delegated to me because why? I'm an ambassador of where? Heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador of Christ. So I get to bind anything that's not of heaven and loose heaven. Let, let me move on here. I'm going to skip to this. Genesis 1.26. All that for the framework of this. L let, me, let me just say this. When we're binding and loosing, we're doing it, and I was taught to pray in Jesus' name. Oftentimes, all of us, after we end a prayer, it's in your name we pray. It's in Christ's name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What you're doing there is you're taking on all authority, and you're abiding by John 14, 13 through 14. It says this. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. It says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So here's what's happening. When we're praying in the name of Jesus, we are binding and loosing. We are having dominion and authority saying this is within his ability. This is within his power. This is within his will. His nature in his name means his ability. His name is all of these 951 titles that release his nature and will. 
So now all of a sudden, if I'm praying for, for, for marriage, he's the counselor, he's the mighty one, he's the prince of peace. We're releasing in the name of Jesus those abilities to restore and redeem that marriage. Same thing, healing. Now I'm praying in the name of Jesus because by his stripes, we're healed. By him, he's a healer. That's his name. So within his name, now we have the authority over that. So we get to Genesis 1.26, and it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Fun scripture. Imagine what, what that looked like in the first six days before you were in your mother's womb, just the thought of you. He gets excited. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit have a party and make you in his image to actually begin to look like him. And as we mature and grow our roots down in Christ, all of a sudden we become a reflection of who Jesus is. Christ in us the hope of glory. So now we get to take on the name of Jesus and begin to look like him. Will we ever be perfect and come into the fullness of who Jesus was on earth? No, but isn't it fun that the deeper we grow, the more we look like him, the more we resemble him, the more people want of him because we're bringing this realm of heaven, of Jesus, of glory into their lives, into this workplace, into this store, into this restaurant, because I get to look like him. Now, here's, here's where we go. It says this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over creeping, the things that creep on the earth. Again, from the beginning of time, the Lord has given us dominion over everything on the earth. Now, he is the I am. Nothing is possible without him in this. But now you are the you are. He calls you a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He says you're called for such a time as this. He calls you more than conquerors. He actually calls you worthy and holy in these things. So when we take on the name of Jesus and we understand that we're created in his image, now we're walking with this authority to bind and loose and release heaven in his presence wherever we go. Why? Because he's in us and he wants to explode and overflow out of us. It's so fun. Let me move to this. This is the final verse for now. A band can come. Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. We talk about the cross. Now, here's the cool thing about this. And, and, and Andrew even has a shirt to prove it. Andrew, would you like to model? He's like, said he was trying to get my attention in the last service, so I'm giving him the opportunity. Boom, Philippians 1.6, right there. <laughs> Wearing it like he stole it. <laughs> I am sure of this. Paul's writing the church of, 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 of this time, and he's saying, listen, I am sure of this, that God, who began a good work in you, will see it through completion till Jesus Christ, like, like through Jesus. So, so here's a few times that Jesus says, it is finished, completion, it is finished. First off, the first six days of creation, he sat back and he says he was proud of his work. He said it was his finished work and it was good and he was pleased with it. So on the seventh day, he rested in pleasure and in, in, in everything that he created, including you and me. And then the other time is when he's on the cross and he's pinned up in the hug posture for you and I. He's pinned up on this cross in the open hug posture to embrace us with love. And he says this, it is finished. Now we tie ourselves into this picture. What was finished? The connection back to the Father, back to heaven, back to, to eternity, but also back to the heaven realm. So seeing us to completion. 
This is good news. Because now it's not only about who he is, it's who he is in us. It's not just about the I am, it's about who I am in him. Listen, God not only loves you, he likes you. Like, he's in love with you. Zephaniah 3.17, that he rejoices and delights over you. <laughs> when we make that decision to ask Jesus in our heart to forgive us of all of our sins and accept the plan of salvation, we accept Christ as our Savior and Messiah, and we have this exchange just like Peter had. All of a sudden, the Father is so happy. Why? Because he finally gets to spend eternity with his boys and his girls who he created for this time, for this completion, for this finished work. You are his finished work, and with you he's pleased and he's resting ever since in his handiwork. Because you're made in his image and you're not, it's not based on your history, it's based on your destiny. Man, I had everything going against me. Good thing that God sees me different and he sees me in his finished work and not how I started this game. I failed speech class freshman year of high school and freshman year of college. Failed it. Terrible. I was terrible. I hated getting in front of people. I hated people anyway. All people. I wasn't biased or I didn't discriminate. I just hated everybody. I failed speech and I was arrested a couple times as a teenager. I was depressed and suicidal. Thank God that that wasn't my completion at the cross. Thank God that that wasn't where my, the end of my story was. That was just the beginning. So Paul, he's telling us with confidence, don't think for a second that you were not intended for good. You were intended for so much good. You were intended for his glory. You were intended to be his finished work that he sits back and he rests the rest of eternity in the glory of how you bring him a demonstration of heaven to earth and worship him in spirit and in truth and you bring him light and you bring light to others through who you are in him. This is an amazing gift that God gives us, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternity, but also the gift of life and bringing it to others around us. Listen, one of my hearts is to not just be a son. That's my favorite thing. You know that I speak about it all the time, sonship and identity. But there's a time that Paul says that eventually kids need to grow up and be fathers and mothers. There's a difference when you accept Jesus. There's this journey. There's this discipleship that's needed. There's this, there's this, this adventure with Jesus as we grow. But eventually, we get to grow up, and we get to be moms and dads, and then we get to teach others how to bring glory to the atmosphere around them. We get to teach others how to bring heaven to them. We get to teach others how to bring heaven to an environment or a situation or praise through a really bad situation. One of the things that Bruce and Catherine Toll taught me was, listen, we're experiencing something here. We're going through a really hard time. They lost a child, their second child that they lost. And they're going through this thing. They're going through this journey. And, and they're like, listen, we're, we're just walking this out. We're hurting. We're hurt. It's hard. But we are doing one thing on earth that we can't do in heaven. And we're trusting and praising and worshiping Jesus through a storm, through a death, through an issue. Listen, that's the maturity in Christ. And now they get to teach others how to do that and come alongside their stories. That's the maturity in Christ that our roots grow down and we begin to look like Jesus to teach others to do the same thing, to bring heaven into your situations, your workplaces, your circumstances, your tragedies. Christy's done that. Her influence and what she's walked through, losing a husband at a young age, like that's our maturity in Christ. 
It's so good. I'd love to pray with you. And then I'd love to activate you to do something here. I want to read a song to you. Hillsong sings this song that we sing here. And it's, I am who you say I am. It's such a good song. You can play it on your way home from church or on your way to the restaurant. I am who you say I am by Hillsong. And it says, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? child of God. Yes, I am. And it says this, free at last, he has ransomed me, his grace runs deep while I was a slave to sin. Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. One more time. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. It goes over and over in this song. Listen, if we want to know the nature of God, we study his word and what he says about himself. If, he, if we want to figure out who we are, we study what he says about us. And this is who he says we are. I am say I am. I am a chosen people. I am a peculiar person. I'm weird, but God celebrates.